Thank you, Oscar and Jason. All right, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would come by your Spirit and that you would help us with all your power because we acknowledge we're weak. Our minds and our hearts, our lives, they wander. They turn against you. We're asking that you would now turn us towards you, that we would hear your word, your gospel, your good news, and that we would receive you, your son, that you would change our lives. We're asking that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? This question was posed by theologian and author Jim Packer in a chapter that he entitles Sons of God. He starts, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, he writes, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as a father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. So whether you're a professing Christian today or if you're just starting to investigate the Christian faith, how much do you make of this thought? That not only do you have the dignity of knowing that you've been made by God, your creator, but that if you bank your life on Jesus Christ, not only are you forgiven, and accepted as righteous by God, the merciful judge, but also, and greatest of all, you've been made the beloved child, the beloved child and heir of the God of the universe, who is also your loving heavenly father. Have you made much of that idea, that belief, that blessing, that promise lately? Or do you have any interest in doing so? The Apostle Paul makes much of this idea in today's passage. It's the dominant theme. You see it multiple times in chapter 3, verse 26. He says, so in Christ Jesus, starting off, you are all sons of God through faith. Chapter 4, verse 4, God sent his son that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, because you are his sons. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. A child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God in relationship with the God of the universe, whom you can now call daddy. It's an amazing thing and a unique claim and a promise that the Christian faith makes over against other world religions. No one else dares to talk about God in this fashion. And maybe you're wondering, speaking of other faiths, I don't get what's so special about this idea. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, aren't we all God's children? Well, the Bible would agree, actually, that God made all people. And that God cares for all people. It's an important belief. 
And actually in Acts chapter 17, Paul himself says of the whole human race, we are indeed God's offspring, sort of descendants of the creator of all things. But the book of Galatians is actually talking about something unique, offering something that's unique beyond the offspringship of all people in the human race before God. It's something that's not natural to our relationship with God. Verse 26 makes this clear. You are all sons. How? In Christ Jesus and through faith in Jesus. We also see this in the language of adoption that's worked in at verse 5. That we're not born into the family of God biologically, simply by existing. Rather, we're brought into the family of God as a gift. A gift of grace. One way you might say it is that we are by nature spiritual orphans. Fatherless, parentless, even slaves, says Paul. But God adopts you as his child. And he does this through his one natural son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse four, but when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, his natural son, his only son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive adoption as sons. Your adoption papers were signed with the blood of Christ. God is inviting you, God is inviting all of us in this passage to a rich experience of relationship with Him. Something that needs to be likened to the relationship between a child and a parent. Sonship, daughtership, adoption. It's a rich idea and a rich experience. It starts by giving you a a new legal status before God. You know, the phrase that we find in verse 5, translated here as adoption as son, is actually a single word in the original Greek language. It it was a a well-known word that referred to a legal process in ancient Rome. If you were a wealthy person and you had no children, and therefore no one to pass your inheritance, your estate, on to, you could adopt a young boy, a child. At that moment, legally, all that child's debt would be canceled. They would start fresh and start new. And the child would immediately receive all the financial and legal privileges within that benefactor's estate and all the privileges outside in the world as the son and heir of his or her new father. So when Paul uses this word, everyone in that church would have immediately understood what he's talking about. This is why some Bibles translate the phrase, we receive full rights as sons. He's not just talking about a mushy-gushy relationship. He's talking about a new standing with God, a new set of guarantees A new legal status promises that God can't break as your father. And this is also why our passages refer to sons 
and the masculine throughout the passage. Did you notice that? Were you perhaps uncomfortable with that? Paul actually wasn't being chauvinistic. He was being quite deliberate here in his word choice. He's making a point. Remember, in the ancient world, who received the inheritance of the family? Only the son. Who was it that had full rights and privileges in ancient families and in ancient society? Only the son. Here Paul is saying that is, is, is saying no matter who you are, whatever your gender, whatever your social standing, whatever your racial background, if you come in Jesus, you're a son. You will be treated with the full rights of adoption and sonship and your father guarantees it to you through his son. It reminds us that whether or not you feel like it's true, if you're in Jesus, you've embraced him, you know God as father, whether or not you feel like it today, it is true. It's objectively true and God can't turn on his promise. God cannot disown you. God cannot break his promises to fulfill and meet your legal rights, as it were, as an adopted child. But then he goes further than that. Like any good parent, God wants his adopted children to know for certain inwardly to be assured that he really does love you as a son or as a daughter. And so he gives us spiritual power to experience this sonship. This is what verse 6 is getting at when he says, because you are his sons, you already are objectively and legally his children. But because that is the case, God sent the spirit of his son where into our hearts, the spirit who cries, Abba, Father. Whereas he's using the Aramaic word Abba, which would have been the common word that Jesus used in addressing his heavenly father. Abba, Father. Where the Holy Spirit, God within us, enables us to say, yes, it is true. I don't naturally feel this, but by God's grace, I'm beginning to experience it more fully. God is my father. I am a son. I am a daughter. And where you can cry out to him spontaneously, passionately. I have a daddy. Where's my daddy? I need my daddy. So that it's not just a legal fact outside of you or an objective truth that you barely know, but something that you experience, that you embrace, that you treasure, that changes your life. How does it then change our lives. What is it like to live in light of our adoption in Jesus? And this is what I want to look at in the remainder of our time. Six privileges, six benefits. We could go with more. We're going to limit it to six and just talk it through together. What does it really mean to have God as father, to be a child, a son, a daughter of God? Number one, it means access. It means access. It means that we have on-demand access to God at any time. It means that you as a child have absolute right to interrupt your daddy 
with your needs, with your voice, and he will always turn his attention to you. Yesterday, we had a membership seminar, just a a first step in people uh, getting to know more about the church and looking into becoming more invested members of this community. And uh, midway through, my wife, Paula, and my daughter, Elena, came in and uh, snuck in the back door there as I was uh, finishing up whatever segment I was in at the time, doing my pastoral spiel and talking about serious matters of, I think, theology or maybe church vision. And of course, blurting out from the back of the room was Elena saying, Dada! Dada, calling out to me, interrupting everything with no sense of my dad is too important or he's too busy or no, she definitely doesn't think I'm too important, Uh, too busy or maybe this isn't the right time or the appropriate place or editing herself. There is a boldness and a confidence and a presumed welcomeness that a child has before a father, before a mother. As we saw that in Elena, I was reminded that's what God invites me to be. Open access to blurt things out to him at any time in prayer throughout the day. Do you do that, friends? If you're a child, do you interrupt your God with joy and know that he will never be annoyed with you or turn away from you because you're interrupting? But it's always a delight for him to hear your voice at any time and and on demand access about anything. About anything. A child in a healthy relationship and here in the ultimate relationship with a father can go to God about anything. No editing, no tiptoeing. No hiding from mom and dad, only total honesty. Whether if it's bringing your sins and struggles and failures before God, and know that by grace, he is not going to disown you or kick you out. Boot you out of the family because of it. Or being able to talk openly about the things that you're feeling might be your fears. It might be your dreams. Do you know that your heavenly father wants you to tell him about your deepest dreams and longings? He loves hearing about it. Or do you think he's so distant or too busy to give you that time, that space in his heart? Honesty that he invites. And think about it. It's honesty to a person with supreme authority. You know, because it's different. I can be honest with a peer, but it's no big deal. You know, you're talking to a buddy. You say, oh, man, I'm really screwed up. I really screwed up. And your friend says, oh, yeah, me too. You know, we stink. And then that's the end of it. This is the God of the universe, the judge of all things who comes to you and says, you can tell me anything. And for you to dare to come with Jesus-grounded, honest confession and profession and speaking out loud to God with your open heart, it's a life-giving thing to be able to do that with the supreme authority of the universe. See, to deny this relationship of a child, to forget it, to drift from it, is like to drift back into a slave-like mentality or a hired servant-like mentality, an orphan-like mentality. 
no intimacy, no sense of access, editing yourself, hiding from God and from other people all the time, prayerlessness, never having any conversation, certainly not spontaneous with God. Do you know, friends, you have access if you're a child? Number two, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verse 7, the second half, since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. A child lives with this open sense that everything that belongs to my daddy belongs to me. Nothing's off limits. And so I'm rich because he is as well. It fills your heart. It keeps you from feeling like you lack or that you are dealing with an ungenerous and miserly God. Here is a God who has given all things to you and held nothing back from you because his eldest son, your oldest brother, Jesus, has shared his rightful inheritance with you. Everything that was his, he gives to you and shares with you. The glory that belongs to the Son of God alone, He gives to you. You're glorious in the sight of God. Do you know that? The authority that Jesus has over sin and evil, He shares with you. Do you know that you don't need to be defeated by sin and darkness in your life? You have the authority of the Son of God as your inheritance. The favor, the approval, the infinite love of God the Father poured upon His Son. Jesus sticks you right in the middle of it. You are hit by the crossfire of the eternal love of God the Father with God the Son. It's yours. An inheritance. The gifts of Jesus. All his abilities that really bear fruit in the lives of other people. All his grace to love, even enemies. Everything that was his, he shares with you, dear friends. You're rich. You're rich. Do you live like it if you are in Christ? Do you believe that your heavenly father is generous to you? I mean, this is real when we're thinking about the ways that we deal with loss or disappointment. Times when it feels like God says no or he closes a door or maybe doesn't work on your own timeline. Whether if it's in finding a spouse or finding a new job or moving in a place or getting a a situation resolved. Do you believe that your heavenly father is super generous with you? Jesus touches on this in Matthew 7 when he says, look, which of you, if you're a parent or if you can imagine the heart of a parent, which of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a rock? Or if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you are like that, Generous, kind, if you then, though you are evil and sinful and selfish and imperfect as a parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Do you believe that? Or maybe you don't even ask for things, 
because you think he's a miser and a scrooge. A child boasts in the generosity of his or her father. You have access, you have inheritance, you have security. A child isn't worried about getting fired from the family. Not with this heavenly father, at least. Not worried about being kicked out for disobeying the rules. After all, an inheritance is received through relationship, not through performance. It's not earned through effort. Grace, God giving our sonship, our adoption through Jesus, that being the grounds of our relationship with the Father, frees us to have an unimaginable kind of security before God. He really loves me, and that ain't going to change. Security, a humble confidence, a confidence that my sins and failures certainly hurt my father, but they do not threaten my ultimate standing with him. Which is precisely what I need to believe in order to want to go back to him when I do screw up. That we can work it out. I can receive his forgiveness. And he can teach me again how to be more like him. Having this kind of security, it's amazing how much we operate out of such deep insecurity constantly. Wondering if God is going to disown us. Comparing ourselves to other people where every relationship is all about seeing whether I'm doing good enough or doing better than they are. So every person in your life either makes you feel more arrogant about yourself or more insecure about yourself. But everyone is the standard. A security of knowing that you have your father's unchanging approval. I mean, some of us are just so busy, but you're never sure deep down inside that you're doing enough. And so you keep doing more. Or your life is falling apart and you're not sure if God might be embarrassed about you. Because you're not sure you're making him proud. Friends, if you're in Christ... Your father is proud of you. Your father is proud of you. He's taking your picture. He's opening his wallet and he's showing it to Jesus and to the angels and saying, look at my daughter. Look at my son. Isn't he great? Isn't she great? Sometimes she's not doing so well, but I love her so much. That's not going to change. Can you see what she's doing? Because you have upon you the very same verdict that God gave to his own son, Jesus, when he was baptized. If you remember the story, Jesus baptized and the skies open, the heavens open, and the voice of God is heard over his son. The father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know he says that about you as well? This is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Your daddy's proud of you. Your daddy's not going to change his approval of you, his opinion of you. And this gives us freedom, doesn't it? Oh, the freedom that that should give us. Freedom from self-consciousness. 
I'm probably the most selfish, self, selfish too, self-conscious person in the room. I don't know if you are too, where you kind of just live with the sense that there are video cameras on you constantly, or you're not sure who's noticing what, or maybe you're always playing to an audience, or maybe you always feel like you're living in front of a panel of judges. And every moment and every conversation, everything you do and every day, you're on the hook. And therefore, you're either trying to hide your true self. You're not really being your true self. You're pretending. You're trying to adopt other people's personalities. You're a constant chameleon. Whatever it looks like in your life, a child is carefree. A child loses self-consciousness. A child is able to be his or her foolish, stupid self. Just to be silly. To be able to be before their God and just be like, blah, 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 blah. Kids do this. Have you done that before your God lately? It might be the most spiritual thing you do this month. Or whatever it is in your heart. Freedom. My goodness. What would it be like to live like that? Number four, affection. Number four, affection. We're touching on it already. It's this idea that your father, your heavenly father, actually delights in you. Takes joy in who you are. And it quiets the suspicion that we often have that God might forgive me, but he doesn't really like me. He might love me by force of will or by commitment or even by promise. But he doesn't actually want to be with me or like the looks of me or want to spend time with me. It might sound a little flat, but it's profound if you think about it. Your father doesn't just love you. Your father likes you. Your father likes you. Delights in you. Sings over you. Shows affection towards you. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 puts it this way, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We see this affection also in this idea of our sonship being a product of adoption. You know, adoption takes an act of choice. God has to take initiative to love you, to have you, to bring you into the family. Loved it so much when last fall at our fall retreat, Pastor Dan Rogers, our guest speaker, sharing a little bit about the love of God, shared the story of his own family, youngest daughter who actually is an adopted child. And he said, look, I don't know if it's not really the right answer, but a lot of people ask that question. Would you love all your children exactly the same? Adopted and your natural children. He has a couple others as well. And he says, you know what? I love all my kids. No question about that. But the one that we adopted, she is special. I tell you, she is special. Because I had to go get her. Because I had to turn to her and say, I want you. And so it is with your heavenly father. God chose you. God loved you. God adopted you. Ephesians 1 puts it this way. He chose us in Christ 
to be adopted as his sons in accordance with his pleasure and will. Which is so important to keep in mind, dear friends, because some of us live quietly feeling like you were a spiritual mistake or the result of a spiritual unwanted pregnancy. Rather than knowing that God chased after you, grabbed a hold of you, adopted you with choosing, choosing love, adopting love. Number five, protection. Protection, where are we at? Access, inheritance, security, affection, protection. This one means a lot to me these days. You got a heavenly father that will protect you, that will provide for you, that will defend you. I'm noticing these days in myself how fierce my sense of self-sufficiency and self-reliance really is. That my instinct is to just want to be able to do things myself and to provide things for myself. Are you like that? And the Bible would describe that almost like an orphan-like mentality, having no father, no mother, because you're just sort of on your own and it's all up to you. A child begins to say, I have a daddy. It's his job, ultimately, to protect me. So I no longer need to protect myself. I have a father, and so he will provide for me. So I don't need to tear down the universe to make sure that I'm provided for, because he's going to provide for me. I have a father who will defend me. I don't have to do that for myself. An orphan mentality makes us fiercely independent. And so often it's because of fear, because we feel vulnerable, because we start to say to ourselves, man, if I don't do it, who will? Maybe that's the script in your mind day in and day out. Do you tell yourself that if I don't do it, who will? Or nothing around here gets done without me. Oh, the voice of an orphan, spiritual orphan. A father frees us from all of this. And he's attentive to all of our needs. Matthew 6, again, Jesus talking about our relationship with our Heavenly Father says, look, do not worry. You've got a daddy. The birds of the air look at them. They don't sow, reap, store away in barns. Your Heavenly Father feeds them day in and day out all the time. They stay alive somehow. They do. And then he asks, Don't you think you're more valuable to your father than even they? God loves the birds. He made them. But don't you think he loves you that much more, dear son, dear daughter? His eyes on the sparrow. Lastly, number six, family. He brings us into a family. He gives us a sense of belonging that we might know that we're not alone. He gives us a sense of relationship and group identity. You know, so often we live in an isolated way. Maybe we even tell ourselves no one cares, no one understands. Maybe you struggle to trust other people, forgive other people. But God gives you not only himself as a father, he puts you in a family, and that's what the church is. It's a broken family, that's right. 
It's a flawed family. It's a family in progress, a family that's growing, a family of people that are together learning what it means to live under the care and the authority of a heavenly father. But it gives you a family. Just to close, what, friends, might happen in your life if every morning you woke up and moved out into the day and into the world assured that you are a beloved son and a beloved daughter? Which of these six qualities are hardest for you to believe? Which would be most transformative for you to grab a hold of today and live in light of tomorrow? Because even if you're a professing Christian, do you know that you can be a child legally and in your status? You can be an heir, but you can absolutely live like a slave, a hired servant, like an orphan. It's the point of the first couple of verses of chapter 4 there are. Are you doing that? You living like a child. This is what God invites us to. Something radical, something unique, something that only Jesus can give you. Don't you long for this? I do. Let's ask that God would give it to us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this promise, for this gospel blessing of adoption, of sonship. Make it real to us. For those of us that are not yet sons and daughters, we pray that you would give them grace to reach out to Jesus, your unique son, that they might be adopted, brought into the family. And for those who are in Christ, but maybe in all of us in some way or another, not living like we truly are beloved children, grant us faith. Show us your deep love for us. Come near to us, Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's awesome.